This is Football CFB, the home of unique football content. Delighted to be joined on Football CFB by an international who's got over 100 caps for our country, played at major tournaments, which the, the men's side in Scotland can, can only hope for um, in the near future. And of course, the Scotland captain as well, Rachel Corsi. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks so much, Callum. The, the first thing I want to talk to you about is how the game's developed over the course of your career. You started at Aberdeen Ladies. You're now playing for Birmingham in the WSL, which is an incredible league. It's, it's grown at an incredible rate as well. But in terms of Scotland, how would you describe the development of the women's game throughout the time span of your career, both domestically and internationally as well? Yeah, it's been mammoth. It's almost it's almost difficult to put into words, really. Um, I think it's best done probably through just examples um, and, you know, probably the clearest one on an international perspective is I think when I first got into the, the senior national team, um, which would have been early 2009, um, I think there was pretty much only one, there was one player who was a full-time professional. Um, you know, there was others who were probably earning some kind of earnings from playing, but everyone else had a, a sort of secondary income or a secondary job or was studying or whatever it might be. Um, and if you compare that to now, you know, almost everyone exclusively is full-time. Um, there's one or two who perhaps have sort of other interests, but, you know, I'd say at least 95% of us are playing in full-time environments, most of which are, are down south, as you say, WSLs. Um, there's players playing over in Sweden. We've had players in the past come from Germany, America. You know, it, it's not just players playing professionally. It's also players playing professionally at really, really top clubs now. Um, and so, yeah, it, it's been great. I think it's, it's good to have that perspective, to know where, it, where it's come from. Um and obviously to know that you're kind of part of the, the history and taking it to this far. And I think there's still a long way to go. Playing for your country obviously means an awful lot to you. You can, you can uh, tell whenever you're in interviews pre and post-match that it, that it means an awful lot. Just what was your upbringing like with football? Because I've spoken to, to Christy, I've spoken to Leanne, and I was very honest that when I was going through high school, um, there was still a stigma of girls who liked to play football and that stigma thankfully has, seems to have gone um I work in education and the amount of young girls that are inspired and want to be footballers now is is, is for me refreshing and I think for me as a, as a young male as well I've certainly changed my outdated views that I had maybe 10 years ago and and for me I, I just love watching the WSL and the, the Scotland international games but what was it like when you were growing up? Yeah, I think I was fortunate in, in both kind of my family upbringing and then also from a school capacity in that um, we start with school, say, then I had a very sporty year, both boys and girls. There was a number of girls in my class right away through high school um, who loved sport and I played lots of different sports. I actually didn't play um, just football, played something different almost every night. Um and that was largely because I, we were encouraged to do that. And there, there was people who are, are still actually in my closest friend circle. Um, and we all just enjoyed that. And so I know I was fortunate with that because I do understand the pressures that um, that kids, boys and girls go through um, as they're grown up to try and fit in. Um, so I, I never really experienced too much of that from a school point of view. Um, and then family life, my mum's been... Um, a season ticket holder at Pataudry for 30 plus years. Um, and my dad, sort of when I was growing up, still played a little bit, he managed a little bit. And so I was either off with my mum to Pataudry or I was taken to my dad's football to help carry the corner flags out or go and get the balls that were going over the bar or whatever it was and down the hill. So um, I've kind of just been surrounded by it my whole life. I've, I've always just loved it. I've loved sport. As I say, different different sports. Um, I still enjoy different sports. You know, if there's anything on TV, it's, there's a good chance I'm watching one of the Sky Sports channels. Um, so yeah, it's it's always been part of my life, and I, I'm fortunate in that I was supported through that with my family uh, and also my my friend circle. You mentioned your love of other sports. I'm curious to know if you weren't a footballer, which sport do you think you would have invested your time into and looked to make the grade at? Um, 
Oh, tricky. I think I'd probably say tennis. Um, I gave that up quite early and I feel it's one of the sports that um, certainly promotes the women's game very, very well. And so I'd probably go down that route, although it is an individual sport, so I don't know how well I would have fared from that from that angle. But, you know, I played my netball, volleyball, badminton, was part of the cross-country team. Um, you know, I'd probably give everything a shot. I think hockey was my least favourite. I think that's because inevitably you got hit by somebody and it was normally a cold and rainy day in Aberdeen and that hurt quite a lot. <laughs> You mentioned your family's love of Aberdeen. So when 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 you were growing up, was it always an ambition to, to play for Aberdeen as well as play for Scotland? Uh, to be totally honest, no. Um, not in the sense I didn't want to do either. I'd, I hadn't even really thought about it. Um, I just, as I say, played for fun. Um, I kind of had a bit of a... This was sort of before Aberdeen were affiliated to like they are now to the Aberdeen Football Club. But um, I went to sort of what was the youth set about the time and I was maybe 12 and they 12 or 13, they put me in goals. And I remember my dad taking me away after and I was totally fine because I'd gone to football and I had a good time. I ended up in goals, but you know, 12, 13, it's, you just do what you do. You're not really thinking about what that actually means. Um, but probably my dad was like, you don't go to a trial for a new team and get put in goals unless you're wanting to be a goalkeeper type thing so anyway we left and he was like right we're not going back there and I remember being really surprised on the way back to the house thinking that's strange for dad to have such like a straight up strong viewpoint he, he didn't he wasn't that type of parent you know neither of my parents are very pushy they're quite happy for me to make my decisions they'll give their advice if I ask for it so also that was strange and then looking back understand why um and so I, I played for a, um, I played for Stonehaven Youth, which still have a great girls and women set up. Um, and I, I absolutely loved it. But same again, I just always played for fun. Um, and then around sort of 15, 16, I started getting involved in the national team um, age group set up. And I think probably laterally in that um, experience, you start to see the pathway that you've seen since you were really young you start to realise you're actually quite near the top of it and the women's A squad isn't too far away. Um, and so then you start to wonder, hmm, maybe maybe I could get there. Um, and so th that was kind of how that journey went. And obviously, naturally, just being from Aberdeen as I progressed from youth level to senior, Aberdeen had a team in the Premier League at that time. And so for me, that was just the natural progression. Um, I sadly wasn't there very long before I moved to Glasgow City. Before we come to your club career, on, on Scotland, you, you talk about playing for the national team at the levels going through. What do you remember from your debut when you, you pull on the jersey for the A-team for the first time? Because as a football fan, I can only imagine what that's like. And for me, watching it on TV, when you see the, the national anthem being played and the players lining up, for me, it'd be a dream to be there. So what was it like for you in that moment? Yeah, um, I remember it was sort of my first... My first camp, uh, it was a Cyprus Cup, and you kind of go, you don't really, you don't think you're going to play necessarily. Um, and so we, it was the first game, and the day before the game, you can kind of get a sense from training that you might be in the starting 11. Um, and so I, I remember feeling excited but nervous. Um, we were playing France, who at the time, and obviously still are, but there was one of the powerhouses that there was a, a big sort of differential between the very, very top teams at that point and even just the teams not that far behind. Um, and so we got beat 3-0. So it was a bit of a, it was a tough debut. Um, but yeah, one that was amazing and memorable all the same. And um, I think just having that experience, you just, once you've had it once, you just want to do absolutely everything you can to have as many opportunities to do that as you, as you can possibly get. And in terms of um, the era that you've played in, I mean, a lot of people focus on the, the male game and point to the fact that Scotland, uh, uh, the, the men's team haven't been at a major tournament since 98. You've been to the last two as, as, as a nation. Um, and for, for me as a, as a Scot, it, it fills me with immense pride that we've been there at the Euros and then the World Cup. For yourself, what, what was it like when, when you qualify for a major tournament? Because again, when it comes to international football, that's every player's dream. Yeah, 
it, it's surreal. It's surreal. It's another. I mean, yeah, it's impossible to kind of put words to that. It's obviously one of, if not, you know, the World Cup especially is just that is something you just don't think you'll ever achieve almost or you certainly don't think about it it's almost just seems out of reach um and to have kind of gone on that journey to go through the the lows that we'd kind of gone through as a squad previously um with the heartache that had happened sort of campaign after campaign I think we're all so agonizingly close that just had that added edge to finally get there um Go on. <laughs> Sorry. In terms of a major tournament as well, I mean, you, you talk about the, re, the the relief of getting there. What what's the preparation like when when you're going abroad and and like a camp? Obviously, naturally, maybe around ten or twelve days. But when you go to a tournament, it's it's, it's a longer period of time. How how did you find that yourself and the team coped with that the first time? Yeah, it's a different it's a different challenge. Um, I will say, in the build up to it, you know, I think everyone just wants to be in cotton wool that that balance of like I need to train as hard as I possibly can because I need to be in the best condition possible I need to be match fit and I need to be playing games and I need to make sure I'm doing the extra fitness and all these things but then that also comes with the the question marks in the in your own head of I don't want to get injured though like and as you get closer and closer you start to think I really can't get injured now like there really would be no way I would make it if this happened you know and I think that's natural everyone goes through it um it's quite an anxious time and then, as you say, when you get there, it's you're together for a very long period. Um, again, I think we're I think we're really fortunate. We have um, a really close knit group of players here. I think there's loads of little as a whole, we're really close, but there's loads of little pockets of people who I think we'd consider those sort of groups of people as like some of their best friends in life. And um, you don't always get that. Um, you know, you can have a good team and teams that get on really well, but I think we're really fortunate that just the balance of the group um, just works incredibly well. And so I think that makes one of these tournaments a lot easier because you, you can tolerate that condensed period. And equally, if you're having the time when you can't tolerate it, you're close enough to probably the people that are near you to say, I need more space or I'm having a bad day or <laughs> you can have a rant or you can cry or you, you can do whatever because you're comfortable. And that's a big part of also being able to deal with the day-to-day pressure of being at a major tournament. In terms of um, the Euros itself, I mean, how did how did Anna approach the tournament? Because it's, it's one of those things where uh, Steve Clark will probably find this if Scotland can, can get there in, in the men's side. When you go to a tournament having not been there for a period of time, I imagine the approach is, is very important because you don't want to just be there to make up the numbers. You want to make an impact on the stage as well. Yeah, um, I think our preparation was pretty consistent to how it looks for most sort of camps, to be honest. Um, it's, again, a hard balance. And, it, you know, I, I don't know how she probably looked at it as a, from a coaching perspective, but from a player perspective, you don't, you don't want to take it too, too far away from what your norm is. Um, you know, a lot of people are quite routine-based, they like the same things, they like structure, and so you don't want to go to a tournament and all of a sudden change how you approach everything. So we had a fairly consistent routine day-to-day, I think, preparation and how we trained was how we always have. Um, I think, yeah, I think individuals took added responsibility to probably do the extra bits, but that's just what you would expect with something so big about to happen for the collective group of players. When you look back at that Euros, um, I think it's 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 something that definitely was it was a great thing to happen to the team in the sense that I imagine you learned a lot when you were there. Portugal very is a very tight game. The England game, of course, wasn't so. But but we talk we're going to talk about that when we come to the World Cup. It was a completely different experience. And then mm-hmm. you you also have a game against Spain, which which are victorious in. So overall. How do, how much do you think the team learned from that tournament that they were able to take into the next qualifying campaign and the next tournament as well? Yeah, it was, I'll be honest, kind of this, the overall sensation afterwards was that we'd, it was a mixture of we deserve to celebrate because this was such a huge achievement and also that of 
bitter disappointment because I think, you know, we're ranked above Portugal. We felt we should have beaten them. Um, and I think we were the better team on the day as well. Um, and then obviously you then have the likes of the Spain result, which they were ranked higher than us and we maybe weren't expected to get a result. And so that was obviously pleasing. And, and so it was left kind of bittersweet. And I think whenever that happens as an athlete or competitor, you just can't wait to get back because you're like, I, I need another shot at that. I need to try again. Um, and so that was obviously added motivation for the players that were involved at the Euros and then obviously continued to be for the World Cup campaign. Um, and then obviously to get to the, the next major tournaments, do two in a row was something that was really special. Um, and I think I think that's probably been the, the biggest growth is how the national teams progressed in the last probably since 2017 and I think it's just been the, those players that were coming through that were a little bit younger who perhaps didn't have the maturity or the experience or the consistency now they all do and now on top of that they play week in week out for some of the top clubs and that habit of winning is something that that carries a, a huge amount of value um and I think you're starting to see that you know I think we've done really well um, in in games recently, whereby it's been tight, but you can just see that composure, that professionalism, and it's starting to have kind of a compounding impact on the group as a whole. And I, th I think it'll be great if we can keep that momentum going. And obviously, we're in the middle of a current, the current European campaign, and we all know we're pot one, and we're expected to qualify. And that's a slightly different kind of weight to bear, but. It's one that I think we've merited um, and it's it's up to us to get the results that then will take us to the next tournament. One of the things that also fascinates me about yourself, Rachel, is the fact that in, in the Euros you played more of a, a holding role um, in front of the defence, whereas obviously you've progressed into being a centre-back. What's the difference between those two positions? Because it's one of those things where you hear quite a lot of the time in, in punditry or that it's easy to, to move from one position to the other, but I imagine it's a lot harder than, than at times pundits and fans try and make it out to be. Yeah, it was um, It was kind of a, a decision that was probably forced in the sense of the injuries we had going into the Euros, the players were missing, I think, quite naturally. Um I've probably refined my trade as a centre-back and so I feel more comfortable there and I, I feel I have the attributes that could be applied to being in that defensive midfield role but when you're not used to playing it, it, it is totally different to just jump in there. Um, I, I think it also is difficult because I think that some of my strengths as a centre-back are, um, you know, I, I like to be on the ball and I'm, I'm not probably just one of those people that's in there to kick things and and get in the way. I think I enjoy having the ball. That's a big part of my game. It's something I worked really hard on. And so um, I think as much as me playing in midfield, I think we lost a little bit of that by me not being in the back line. Um, anyway, it, it was what it was. And I think um, for me, I think I enjoy playing at centre-back and I think that that's where I'm best. And um you know, I think I've obviously played there now consistently for a long time and um, continue to try and just find little bits and pieces. And as you get older, you have to adjust and adapt because the game changes and um, the physical attributes of the opposition and you changes as you grow. So, um, there we go. And in terms of the transition to the to the Shelley Care era, what's that been like? Because it's 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 an era that I think has has been really positive for the game as a whole and, and I find Shelley a fascinating character um, when you hear her speak what's she like to work with on the training field and on a match day as well yeah she's she was refreshing when she came in I think a, a lot of players had a huge amount of respect for Anna and um, you know she she made enormous strides for the women's game in Scotland she was a huge reason why the game has and continues to grow you know she's put in pathways um that have just been so crucial to enabling so many of us to get where we are. Um, but naturally, I think change was going to just bring some freshness. And I think um, Shelley has some slightly different ideas. And I think it just brought an added competitive edge to the players group because all of a sudden you have somebody new to impress. Um, 
you have to step up there's no guarantees um I remember actually being quite nervous because I got into the national team because Shelley retired kind of but she plays centre back and that kind of opened the door and so I wasn't sure how that relationship might be um anyway that again that's just the natural insecurities I think of players and I think obviously you know having been captain under her and having been given that privilege and that role I think um we work really well together I I think that my role is to make sure that all the players are can are happy that they feel they can do the best they absolutely can and I try and make sure that everyone feels they're in a place a safe place that they can perform and and so far you know I think we've had a good balance in terms of the leadership role of yourself and the team just how much does it mean to you to to be the captain of your country and and crucially what are the aspects of that role that that fans aren't entirely aware of because it's much more than just wearing the armband on a Tuesday or a Saturday yeah that's probably the the least of it um I think I like to think that no matter what you know you're given that role because you've shown the attributes that are needed um I think I'm someone who's relatively mature and sensible um and I think naturally as a centre-back one of the other attributes you just naturally develop is that communication and that's on the pitch clearly but also that translates off the pitch um and so as a human being you don't get right all the time and over the course of the last few years there's been things which you know you look back and you think I could have probably dealt with that better but um I think that's natural but as I say, the biggest thing is ultimately I want everyone, every player that's here to feel that the environment is one that they can absolutely perform and and feel safe in and feel that they can do their best because I think that's what gets the most out of, of players. And, you know, it's, it's hard to kind of maybe like put that into words, but there's probably lots of different examples that, hopefully allow players to kind of come on camp and have to worry about as little as possible. And I probably take on a little more strain and stress, but I like to think that as one of the senior players and there's a group of us, I I don't just take on my own shoulders myself. You know, there's a few of us and if I'm stressed, you know, I can, there's people I vent to that are here and and they do the same. But um, I think that's really that to me is, is what makes a good leader is, is getting the best out of everyone around you and, and being that person that helps make that possible. How much do you think the the, the mental side of the game um, is important to deal with? I mean, you're an ambassador for Mental Health Aberdeen, which I imagine is something that you're, you're very proud of. How much does, does that aspect of your role off the pitch help you in that leadership role? as a captain when it comes to empathising with the stress that inevitably comes with football on the park, but just general life off the park. Because again, I think people forget footballers are not robots. They're like you, they're like me and, and other fans. They, they have everyday problems the same as the same as everybody else. Yeah, I think that's something I'm, I'm passionate about. Um, I read a lot about sort of psychology, but not the clinical side necessarily, more just kind of the day-to-day how how people interact best together. Um, and as you say, you know, we all have times when we have things in our mind, we're not feeling good, we doubt ourselves, with things going on in the background, there's personal things constantly for everybody. Um, and I, th- I think it's a huge part of, again, just making sure everyone feels comfortable and safe in the environment. And that doesn't mean that there's never times when people don't feel that sometimes people will feel uncomfortable but um I like to think I have you know an ability to perhaps identify when that might be something that someone might just need you know a shoulder around them or conversation or you might need to say nothing but maybe you get off their back a little bit in training instead or you might have a word with other people to just do the same you know whatever it might be I think the mental side of the game is such a huge part and that's another part of coming here and performing is making sure that everyone you know isn't burdened by something that impacts their performance and or impacts their life generally because I think we all like to to look after another I think as as Scottish people we have that within us and we want the people we care about and the people who are around us to to be okay. 
you mentioned earlier on a, a quote that I think was which summed up the national team, and I think you can see this. I think most fans would agree when you you watch the national team play that you mentioned the real friendship that you have and and others have within the team away from football. I mean, there's some big characters in that team. Erin Cuthbert comes across as a big character. Um, Leanne mm-hmm. Crichton, who who you host um, Beyond the Goals with, we'll come to that soon as well. Big character. Also, I, I know Christy from from doing the column, and she's a character as well as are, as are so many others. Who who really is the the sort of big personality maybe in the dressing room when when you're training Monday to Friday with, with the jokes or keeping everyone entertained? I'd say Emma Mitchell and Lisa Evans are the two that you need to watch closest for. Um, they've been best friends for a, a long time. Um, they're they're loud. They they love to have a joke, laugh one another, laugh with everybody. They're not scared to make a fool of themselves. Um, and yeah, they bring the mood up always when there's, we're probably having a, a tough day and someone needs something to just laugh about. So they're the go-to for that, absolutely. And in terms of um, one of the games in particular I want to talk to you about is, is the Jamaica game, because as I said earlier, I work in education. The school that I, work, I worked in when, when that game was taking place, we took two um, buses full of kids of primary school age and, a mix of boys, a mix of girls, um, and it was it was a, a night that, for me, was just utterly refreshing when it comes to football. There was a real carnival atmosphere at the ground. A few of the, the other male colleagues that I worked with who had never really attended a women's match before left that day going, wow, I absolutely loved that. I loved the fact that both teams wanted to play with the ball on the ground. They wanted to play attacking football, whereas at times... They compared it to, to the male game where it can be quite stalemate and long ball and cagey. Whereas that night, a lot of people, I think, agree, was just a real celebration of football and the achievement of qualifying. What was it like from a player's perspective? Because, as I say, it was a real carnival atmosphere. Yeah, it was a great occasion, I think. The saddest thing about it is that I don't think the SFA believed that we would quite get the support that we did. And so, you know, I think on the day there was people who were turned away because there wasn't enough turnstiles open. But... Um, I think it was monumental for the women's game because I think we all knew we could play on that stage and and perform and we know how good we are. And it was just so great. I think so many of us have spent so much time fighting that battle of constantly feeling you have to justify. You know, every time something's on, whatever it might be, you see the comments that are made. You know, you constantly feel like once you get through one brick wall, there's another brick wall to get through and then another and then another. And it can feel quite relentless. And naturally that can be frustrating. Um, and so I think for once, that was one of the few occasions where all of us were just like, let's just enjoy tonight because that's what we should be here to do is just absolutely enjoy that this is the country that we play for and represent. We've come to support us to go to the World Cup, which is something that we've never done before. Um, so yeah, it was an absolutely incredible occasion. It's a game that, of course, you know, you'll remember forever. Um, I'm really glad we won. It was probably tighter than we should have allowed it to be. Um, but yeah, it, it was exceptional. And I think it just proved, as you say, you know, people you work with saying it was great to see you've got the ball down and, and whatever. But I think also to me, it shows that people support football for so many different reasons. Some people love going and watching football. That's just punt it long and it's feisty and it's fast and furious and tackles some people love that other people love to watch teams that play like Barcelona and some people go and watch the team because their dad watched the team their granddad or their mum or their grandmother whoever it was you know there's so many reasons and so um, I think that's another frustrating boundary is that so many times people dismiss the women's game because they're like oh it's not very good which that's an objective thought and that's fine but actually the reason sport is so popular falls into so many different brackets as to why people love it and so um i think that was just another showcase of this is scotland people love coming to watch a team that's successful and we were celebrating our success in the dressing room after the game what was the atmosphere like obviously steve clark's there nicola sturgeon i mean it must have been quite a surreal moment in many ways that not only was there a, a, a really, I think it was nearly 18,000 people were there on the night supporting the, the team and supporting yourselves. But 
in the dressing room after the game, there was clearly support from from all levels within Scottish society as well. Yeah, and I think we've we've really seen that behind closed doors for a while. I think Nicola Sturgeon's been a supporter of us um, for a number of years. Um, And it's always great to just have that, you know, I think we'll always want support from those those people who are big figures who who make a difference who do bring that different level of encouragement um, I can remember Steve Clark came in and um, he actually just told us that we gave away really sloppy goals and we'd have to tighten things up and, and be a little less careless which I think was just so perfect and so Scottish and I think it was um, it was great that he came in and spoke to us and you know I think that's another thing a lot of the time we're compared we're compared to the men's team. Everyone always talks about the women have qualified and the men haven't. But as Scotland, we want the men to qualify. We don't want it to be, well, we've qualified and they haven't, so we should get something for that. I want it to be the men are going to the Euros, the women are going to the Euros, the men are going to the World Cup, the women are going to the World Cup. Like We're all Scotland. We all want everyone to do well. It doesn't need to be either or. It doesn't need to be we did better than them. So what, you know, let's have success in as many different ways as we can absolutely absolutely i think it's important and i think what i like with um, the national team or on social media platforms is that it is one scotland is one the, the, the women's national team is there the male national team is there the other age groups are there as well and i think that's important because it is one nation when it comes to scotland and, and we should be behind every scottish team that's just the way i look at it when it comes to international um setups and in terms Absolutely. of qualifying for the World Cup, what was the build-up like in contrast to 2017? Because in a strange sense, there was a lot more attention on the World Cup qualification because I think the penny had dropped for quite a lot in Scotland. I mentioned the fact we take um, two buses full to, to Hamden. I mean, the penny seemed to drop for a lot of people that, A, women's football is very good if you actually go and watch it rather than just have pub chat with people that haven't watched the game before. And two, there's clearly lots of young kids coming through that want to, to go and watch Rachel Corsi, Leanne Crichton and, and the rest of the, the players in the team as well. Yeah, it did seem a bigger deal. Um, I think obviously the World Cup has a bigger platform than the Euros does. Um, and on top of that, I think just the game was two years is a big difference in the women's game, given how, how young it still is. Um, and so I think having that momentum from the Euros, it just kind of compounded. There was already a portion of interest there. And then all of a sudden, you know, that grew kind of exponentially just because we had been successful and we were just consolidating that. Um, it, it, it did feel, though, from a footballing perspective to just a whole new level. I think it's the World Cup is the in my opinion, is the biggest stage, the biggest tournament that you can play in. Um, And so I think we all just felt what a huge achievement it had been to actually qualify automatically. And in terms of of going there, you mentioned the fact that the World Cup's the biggest stage. I agree with you in that as, as well. You captain your side walking out in the opening game for a World Cup. I mean, just just describe the emotions there because again it takes a, a, a special team to qualify but to, to be the person who leads your country out in a moment like that I mean how, how did you cope with that? Yeah it was obviously it was a little bit of another surreal moment I think it's hard to probably in the moment as well even really appreciate what what is happening and kind of the whole ironic thing of it is is that you do so much mental preparation of you know play the game don't play the occasion so you've really ground it into your head you know that however it is you prepare for me I, I do quite a lot of sort of mindfulness and meditation type stuff the morning night before a game um or certainly I, I was doing around that point in time and all you were doing was just shutting off the fact that it was a World Cup. More of the small reminders you need to tell yourself to perform and to do the, the basics and the things on the pitch and, and all those little things. So I think afterward, it's one of those moments where afterwards you look back and you're like, wow, I captained my country at a World Cup. That's 
probably my greatest achievement. But in the moment, you're trying your absolute hardest to just focus on the game and think about who you're playing against and, and the small little things that will make a difference to performing well. The England match I want to talk about in particular, um, not only because it's a, it's a big derby match, but when you consider the result in 2017 where it was a, a comprehensive win for England and you compare and contrast that with 2019, you compare that with the, the World Cup, it, 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 for me that showed you the proof was in the pudding with the progress of, of the Scotland team. I mean, when, when Nicky Tathares scores a goal, I think, let's be honest, I'll be honest with you as a Scotland fan, it's one of those things where you think, oh no, the script's happened here, um, they've scored, it's going to be typical Scotland, any sport, if the opposition goes ahead quickly, we're going to fall away, but we absolutely uh, did not, I know obviously they get a second, but we battled on, and and and, and, when, and when Claire scores that goal, I think everyone was just delighted to see our, our hard endeavours be rewarded, and from that game as a whole, how did, how did you feel playing in that match, considering the result in 2017 compared to the result at the World Cup? Yeah, I think to totally honestly, there was no, I don't think there was a comparison. I, I don't think it, we even did compare. I think when you, you know, I think being realistic, as you say, the squad had improved immensely. And then on top of that, whilst we were at the Euros, we suffered a number of key injuries. And it was probably a time where, as you say, we didn't have the depth, you know, but when we came around to the, the World Cup, I think the depth we had certainly in certain positions was much greater. And so, that's kind of two things one you can it, it brings more competitiveness to training so naturally players typically are in better form or, or working a little bit harder a little more focused um but also when you're in an, an environment like that you have options and I think that's a big part of competing with the better nations you know and that's been something that we haven't been so fortunate in having perhaps in the earlier years and now I think we really feel we don't know what the team teams largely going to be game to game because it's about earning your position and earning your spot and um, it is performance based and so um, that was a big difference and I think we were we were glad we did a lot better although I will say we probably didn't have a great start and like you I think you know we fell under pressure and England started by far far better than we did um, but we did rally and we kept ourselves in it and obviously we got the goal and I think um, it was a big step probably emotionally and mentally for the group. I'm going to apologise in advance for this next question. The Argentina yeah. game, I'll be honest with you, is one of the craziest games of football I've ever watched <laughs> and it summed up the roller coaster of any Scotland team of any era uh, through, through, the, through, the, through the years, I suppose. What was it like from your perspective on the pitch? Because things were going so well Argentina get back into it, and and I'll be honest with you, I'm still not over the 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 the, the VAR decision with the uh, the referee's decision with it with a penalty. For me, that still was downright robbery. I know you might not say that, but but I'll say it because it was it was d disgraceful and and it really annoyed me, considering that we played some really good attacking football that night. Yeah, it's just one of those games that is absolutely insane. <laughs> And it was probably so overwhelming that in the moment, I think everyone felt numb. Um, I know that so many people said afterwards, oh, how, how did you hold your nerve? How could you speak on camera? All these things. But in the moment, honestly, I think we all were just numb to it because the kind of run of events was, was madness, I think. And whilst, you know, I'm, I'm not going to criticise the officials because I'm not allowed to. Yeah, I think there was a large debate over some of the decisions, but at the same time, we let ourselves down. You can't be 3-0 up and, and be comfortable. You know, I think if you look on the team sheet, Argentina actually took off two of their, their arguably their best players and we still allowed them back into the game. And I think that was naive. I think we all know that we want that back, you know, and we can't get it back and we'll have to, we live, we live with it. Um, and it's an experience that, that the only way you can progress is by using it as a tool to learn and get better. And probably only time will tell, you know, hopefully we qualify from their major tournament and hopefully we get 3-0 up again against somebody and um, we can do a better job to see the result. 
As captain, how did you um, deal with the situation that happened to to Lee Alexander? Because obviously, I mean, from 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 fans at home to likes of Gary Lineker, there was there was clear outrage about the situation for her being in the moment. It must have been very difficult um, as well. How do you approach that situation after the game? Is it is it a situation that you mentioned where it's quite numb and nobody really says too much? Or is it a time where the arm needs to go down the shoulder and there needs to be a conversation? Um, again, we're a close group. Um, I, I would say I'm, I'm quite close with Lee. I've um, obviously played with her at Glasgow City. I've, um, I've known her for a number of years. And so I, I don't remember specifically it being an arm around Lee. I think everyone had, had each other's back. Uh, we spent that evening together. Um, you know, I, I think it was a group of players that were very insular and, and kept, you know, kept, looked out for one another. Uh, and that, that was consistent throughout. I think, you know, even just we gathered on the pitch at the time. Um, that moment, to be honest, probably epitomised the togetherness that the group of players had. And And I think... One of the things that you you mentioned earlier um, when when you were talking about the game is it's clear that already you you mentioned I hope we go three 0 up again that you've clearly as a group and as a management team learned from that and you will be better for that experience. Of course, at the time it doesn't feel like that, but hopefully in the next international tournament um, that that Scotland can can qualify for, the, the nation can learn from that, and there will be members of the squad who were there know what it was like and don't want to let it happen again. Um, in terms of the, the current campaign, obviously it's 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 going well at the moment. Um, fingers crossed, um, everything goes well and, and we can qualify. For yourself, what we're speaking today on the back of you scoring um, a goal for your country, just sum up the feeling of scoring a goal, albeit with with no fans there for for obvious reasons with the pandemic. Yeah, it still feels incredible. I think it's one of the best feelings you can get. You know, I don't score too many. Um, and so it's always nice to have an influence at that end of the pitch and yeah fans or no fans um, it's a proud moment to score for your country and I think as a defender I've probably done not too badly over the years and in terms of fans um, something else that in, in every chat I've had with um, a member of the national team or, or, or the women's game in general one of the things that always comes out is the relationship, obviously normal times um, that you could have with fans at the game afterwards, whether it's signing autographs, speaking to, to young girls or, or young boys who are there about football. How, how important is that to you? Because for me, it's something that, again, is utterly refreshing with the women's game where the, the players, and I'm not saying that the male game doesn't, I'm not making that comparison, but the female players seem to have so much time for the fans that attend the matches afterwards, which as you'll know as, as well as me, when, when you're a young kid and you get a chance to speak to a footballer or, or get an autograph, it means the world to you. So just how much does that mean to you? Because as I say, the national team for me do it incredibly well. And, and I've heard so many positive experience from kids that I've taught, um, from kids of, of people that I know that when they attend these matches and they get a chance to speak to yourselves after the game, it just stays with them forever, which I think, again, is, as I've said, utterly refreshing. Yeah, it's something that I think is just ingrained within the growth of the sport. You know, for a large part, it probably began because we didn't have, we needed to build that support. And, you know, the people who did come and support us early on, you want them to come back and you want them to come back and bring a friend or more than one friend. And then, you know, that that's how you, how you grow the game. And so I think we were very, not this is not me before me, but we're very savvy on this is going to be the best way that we can keep people coming and helping to, to grow that fan base that we know is out there, but we just need to get them to know about it. Um, and it's just stayed, stayed with us. And I think we are, we are very humble because not, and some have had some incredible experiences over the years, especially some of the, the players who are playing at top clubs now, but for the, the most part, we have just grown up as fans of the game as well. And so we know exactly like those examples that you're talking about and how the kids talk. We were those kids too. Um, and when you know that by just having a 10 second conversation with somebody could have such a big impact, 
then I, th I think human nature tells you to do that and to do that as often as you can. And there's times when you don't feel good and you're not in a mood and you need to just go straight down the tunnel in the dressing room. And that's fine because there's 23 of us now and, you know, if 15 to 20 of the players take time after the game to speak to five fans or 10 fans or 50 fans, you know, some people spend longer than others, um, that's making a real impact. And it's a simple thing to do. And as humble, mature adults, I think we, we recognise that. And I'm proud of all the players who have had the opportunity and who take the time to do that. You, you mentioned there being a fan of the game yourself. And, and for me, that's evident in, in your podcast with Leanne behind the goals. I mean, during lockdown, I have to say, I really enjoyed it. I particularly, I've mentioned her before, I really enjoyed her in Cuthbert because, again, she, she's, she comes across as... A really funny character, as well as a, as, a, as well as a good player. Just how much do you enjoy working with Leanne on that side? Because, as I say, it's been it's been very successful. Yeah, it has been, and I think when we started it, it was just we literally started it because we were having a FaceTime or a Zoom chat, just catching up as friends. I was over in America, and then we just thought we should just record these because invariably we end up chatting about football and we're like oh well, while we've been on the phone an hour how has this happened um and so we just started it as a little bit of fun and then before you know it we're 20 episodes in so it's been really good we love football um Leanne's obviously taken on more roles in the media I've done little bits and pieces as well um and yeah it's just it's been a little project that I think given the year that it's been it's been so nice to have something that's a little different that gives you something sort of weekly to just keep you occupied. I know you've got plenty of years in, in your career left, so I'm not trying to, to push you towards the end, but in terms of your future, you mentioned the fact you've dipped your toes into broadcasting. Is that something you see yourself wanting to do more of as time goes on, or is there still a burning ambition to be involved in football and the coaching side longer term? Truthfully, I don't really know. I think... I don't, I can't imagine my life without sport. Um, and when I say sport, I, of course, I can't imagine it without football, certainly. Um, how that looks is so hard to know. I have a real interest in business as well. Um, obviously studied accounting and, and went through those those exams, those professional exams too. So um, it's hard to really know. And I think I'm hopeful that as the time gets nearer that, an opportunity might present itself that you know might feel like it fits as something that would be the next stage and the right move for me to go in. Um, it's hard to know. I enjoy the media stuff. I, I've enjoyed a little bit of coaching that I've had the opportunity to do as well. Um, and I just love football as a fan too. So it's really hard to know what direction I may end up falling into. Um, but it's also good to just keep be open-minded because I think things can change I think for me even it's crazy to think that I've spent the last five and a half years in America and you know I just it, it seems insane to have spent that much time there I don't think I ever would have predicted that that would have been something that I had the opportunity to do so um I feel I'm feeling well situated to probably make a decision that I haven't closed too many doors on yet it's, it's always best to keep options open and and I think that's something that's definitely wise. In terms of club football, um, you mentioned Glasgow City a few times. Very successful club. Um, you'd a spell there permanently and you'd a loan there. 16 major honours, seven league titles. What makes Glasgow City such a, a successful organisation? I've, I've spoken to, to Laura Montgomery. Her passion for football um, is, is clear for all to see and hear. Um, anytime she speaks, you can just tell that she lives and breathes football. Yeah. What what makes the club so successful? Because it just seems like relentless success and always striving for more. And undoubtedly, Laura and Cass, Caroline Stewart, the two owners are are the reason that club has taken the the journey that it has, and you know the hurdles they've had to overcome, especially as as teams like Celtic, Hibs, Rangers have invested so much within their programs and time after time they fight off that competition they step up they find resources and um you know to think that they started it from scratch um is incredible and to see the success it's had is unbelievable and my time there is so memorable and you see that from almost all the players that have come from there um 
you know, when they're playing Champions League, there's players from all around the world <laughs> tweeting good luck because they've played a part in the legacy of that club and they've experienced it and they've worn the badge and they just understand. And it's it's very special. It, it's hard to put into words, but it's a very, very special club that, you know, definitely has driven the women's game forward and played a huge role in taking it to the place it is just now. And, you know, really just, I really hope as it, as it grows in professionalism, um, that they can maintain their, their place, you know, at the top of the league um, and competing with all the top teams because naturally it continues to get harder and harder as the demands get more and more. In terms of your career, you mentioned the fact that you've you've not you're not adverse to taking on a new challenge. You've played in England at Notts County. You've played with Seattle Rain, Utah Royals in the states, um, Canberra United and Australia as well. What is what's it been like for you playing around the globe and out with Scotland? Because those experiences, the changes in lifestyle, I imagine at times as well, maybe even changes in the standard of football and the way it's played. How's that shaped you as a person and as a footballer? It's incredible just the amount of experiences different situations you get into different people you meet I think it's a, I think it's the people is is probably the biggest biggest influence on you some of the players I've played with um and I don't just mean I just mean the, the big name players you know obviously when I was at Seattle I played in front of Hope Solo and Megan Rapinoe's there and, and you know they're massive massive stars and and same again, you know, at Utah, there's other national team players, Amy Rodriguez, Be- Becky Sarbron, Kelly, like players who've won everything that you, you're like, wow, I'm on the same pitch as, as them. But I've also come across so many different players who have taught me so much outside of football. And I think that has the most profound effect. Um, I think I would say when I left Scotland or the UK to, as a person, I was quite typically, you know, negative and it was easy to complain and criticise and be pessimistic. Um, and moving to the States makes that really hard to continue. Um, <laughs> and I really was taught some some harsh lessons and some good lessons. You know, I've been taken aside and told straight up that you sound, you come across really negative and, play, and people don't like it. And you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> you have to change you have to adapt um and I think so that's that's been the biggest lesson obviously the football kind of takes care of itself but the people you meet are just absolutely incredible and, and vast the stories people have phenomenal um and just those are the things that are forever you know the football one day comes to an end as a player but the people you've played with and the people you become friends with and have met um that can last as long as you want it to. And I feel really incredibly fortunate that I've got friends all around the world. Um, that is something that's really, really cool and really special. This season, you're playing the WSL. You've 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 arrived at Birmingham City. Um, what's it been like going in there? Because you're, you're playing alongside Abby Grant, Christy Murray, and, and you're playing under a young manager in, in Carla Ward as well, which... I imagine it can be something that's refreshing for everyone, especially when you've got someone who is coming in who is, is younger as a coach and has, has new ideas. What's it been like so far settling in at the club? It's been good. I, I think one of the, I don't want to say surprising, that seems the wrong word, but um, I've really enjoyed the group of girls at the club. Um, so welcoming. Um, the togetherness is quite unique and um, you know, I think that maybe comes from, I know there's been a lot of criticism on the club and a few raised eyebrows as to questions over if we'll, if we'll survive the WSL season. Um, I think naturally that drives just a little bit of inner strength within the group and it's been great. I think, um, you know, maybe it was a little apprehensive to come back and, and be back in an environment that I can remember being quite harsh and critical and and of just what I can remember from before. And so I've been, I mean, yeah, I've just really enjoyed it. And I think, again, it's a different challenge. You work under different coaches. Um, there's always an opportunity to learn. Um, and that's the case again. And I think it's, it's been a good start. It's certainly been a good 
a good month for the club and hopefully this can set us in a way and we can continue with the form we've sort of showed over the last couple of games. The, the listeners to, to the show and, and the visitors to the website will be, will be used to Christy Murray and, and her work. What is she like to train with on a daily basis? Because she's quite the character. She is the ultimate professional. She t- truly is the one person who does absolutely everything to be the best she can be. She's one of the best people that I've played with and I've known her for years and I think we first played together with under-19s in the national team. Um, so yeah, 14 years. Um, she's She just wants to do the absolute best that she can and I think, you know, a, a lot of players probably think that they do that but she's certainly one that, that I would say um, is true to her word. Um, and she's a real positive person. You know, she finds the positive slant on whatever it may be um, she's a, a great leader of that team um, really encouraging but also has, has stand, the standards she carries for herself she expects from everyone um, and she shows that by setting an example Being in the, the WSL at this period what what's it like because as I say it seems to be growing at a rapid rate you think of some of the stars that have came over from the States who, who you know well of course um, what's that been like? Because there's there's definitely a lot of attention on the league, and rightly so. And hopefully, we can see that in Scotland as our game continues to grow up here as well. But what's it like at the current moment? Because there seems to be a lot of eyes on it, which for me is is long overdue. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's a competitive league. I think um, they've developed it now over the last few years, whereby they've they've put parameters over each club to. To drive the standards forward, I still think there's there's a lot more to do though in in terms of that. But in terms of on the pitch, um, I think it's very competitive. And as a player, you, you want to play in those competitive leagues. You know, I think whilst of course there's a top four teams that are the big names that you know when they come to town, it's going to be a lot probably more defending than it is attacking. But at the same time. You, feel, you get the feel that every single game has a chance to get points and um, I think keeping the league competitive will be one of the, the things that those people who are in charge um, should really strive to maintain because you need it to be that way, you need it to, to remain that, you need the quality to be consistent and there will always be better teams than others, there will be teams that have a bigger budget than others um, but keeping competitive football, keeping the standards high across the board, not just on the pitch, off the pitch, um, are really, really important, I think. The, the last question I've got for you is, based on your career so far, over 100 caps in your country, captain in your country at a major tournament, as I say, playing in Scotland, England, the States, Australia, and Europe as well, what advice would you give to, to young players listening to this or, or the parents of, of young girls who want to, to, to grow up to be footballers? million dollar question (laughs) Um, I think for me always um, try and pursue an environment that you um, can say you enjoy which that doesn't mean you will always enjoy it Um, but I typically find that when you're enjoying something you naturally play better you don't need to try and play better you naturally give it your all Um, and there's times when you need to ride, ride a storm there's times when you need to um, make a change and I think for me I've always I've always been fortunate that for large spells of my career I've, I've had that enjoyment um, and I find when I'm in a good place with that the performances kind of take care of themselves um, and the other one which I think is really really important especially in this day and age is um, always be kind to yourself and again there will be times when you won't be but um, it's something that I think is so easy to be hard on yourself, berate yourself, talk to yourself and say words that you would never ever say outwardly to anybody else um, and those things can actually be really damaging um, and so try your best not to do that Brilliant. Rachel, it's been an absolute pleasure thank you so much for joining me Thanks for having me So we'll dive down to the ocean and we'll make our home in a deep sea cave And our shells will all be open They'll be filled with song, they'll be filled with song We'll dive down to the ocean And we'll make 
her home in a deep sea cave and her shells will all be open. I'll be filled with song, I'll be filled with song.